0: Church, I want you, though, this morning to look at chapter 24. We're going to cover two this morning, two verses, and that is it. And it is verse 27. It says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Do I have a... a, a, Seth, do I have one of those things there? What do you call it? PowerPoint. Yeah, there you go. Folks, I want you to know that you are my sunshine. My only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are what gray. Good. One of the things that I was just stating to you is basically using different kind of language to be able to express something to you. Like, for example, you've heard the song by Lone Star. I'm the sunshine in your hair. I'm the shadow on the ground. I'm the whisper in the wind. I'm your imaginary friend. You know, Lone Star was singing to his children. He wrote this, you know, this this group did. While they were away on tour, they compared themselves to daily things that their children would see in an effort to let them know that they will always be with them even when they're away. This is kind of language that we use even today. We use these different kind of languages. Michael Buble says, you're a falling star, you're the getaway car, you're the line in the sand when I go too far. And he was talking about his wife. In that, she understood those things. We use different kinds of languages. For example, it's raining cats and dogs, right? How do we know? Because we can see the poodles out there in the parking lot. (laughs) Y'all will get that in a moment. Okay, so the sound of rain was like music to my ears. He has a heart of stone. She has the strength of an ox. My best friend stabbed me in the back. Now really, did they really stab a person in the back? See, one of the things that we have to understand when we come to Scripture as well is that there are different kinds of languages and different kinds of figures of speech that are given throughout the And we are getting into this point of this passage in Matthew 24 where we're going to talk about the astronomical signs What does it mean when we're talking about these astronomical signs? And there are people and there are basically streams of thought when dealing with the end times that when we come to words such as like verse 29 where it says the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven... We're going to get those and understand those kind of things. Is this something that is literally going to happen? And what we need to understand is could this be a different figure of speech instead of something that is literal? For example, if the sun was ever darkened, dear friends, means it gives out no heat. If the sun for any period of time does not give out any heat, what happens to the earth, and all the other planets. They freeze. We would all be dead. Yet, when we're looking at some of these scriptures, we see, though, that some of these tribes are going to mourn, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, but how can they if they're dead? So we have to understand, could this be figures of speech? Could it be something like this? Now, what I want us to look at this morning, we're going to go through some things that are in the Bible, but this is preliminary before we get into these verses, okay? You need to understand these. In the Bible, they use a bunch of metaphors. You know what a metaphor is. If you haven't been through uh, high school English in quite a while, this is where we're going to go through this morning just a, a bit so that you would have understanding concerning what the Scripture uses. It's... A metaphor is a word or phrase literally denoting one kind of object or idea in the place of another. You are my sunshine. What? Did, what are we saying? We're using a metaphor. We also have similes, a figure of speech comparing two unlike things, and so. We're looking at some things that are there in the scriptures that are used that we need to understand. Also, they use all kinds of imagery that are found in the Bible. It is basically a figurative language. This is basically what it does. That's all it does. And we need to understand it. It also uses hyperbole. Those kind of things. It uses uh, symbols. It gives meaning to symbols. It has that symbolic language. In fact, when we get over to the book of Revelation to look at a few things in the coming weeks, we're going to need to understand it's highly, highly symbolic. Highly symbolic. And so when we're talking about symbolic uh, language, it's basically an artistic imitation or invention that's a method of revealing or suggesting immaterial, ideal, or otherwise intangible truths. It's one of those things that we just need to look at, and if we look at all these things, we will see examples of it that are found in the Scripture. That, for example, when we get into all this kind of things, we need to understand that um, Jesus even says, "I am the what?" Here, so the door. Listen, to what it says: "I am the door." If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find what? How many of y'all have been in a pasture lately going in and out? You live there in the pasture? Do you go out there to eat and come back in? You go in and out and in and out and in and out. How many of there see Before your pasture, there is a door that you enter into. And once you enter into that door, is it Jesus? We want to take something literal. And this is one of the things I want you to understand. Is that we have those kind of thoughts from those kind of uh, folks who say everything needs to be taken literal. Then we have to ask the question, what kind of hinges does Jesus have? What kind of doorknob? Is he an oak, a pine, an ash? Just what is he? Literally, if we're going to take it literally, he's a door, right? What else is he? He's the, what? Light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Well, we're not in darkness right now, right? Right? So though, therefore, everybody that doesn't follow Jesus is walking around totally in the dark. Or is that a figure of speech? It's a figure of speech. We need to understand what these things mean by having figures of speech. There are all kinds of language. This, we need to understand this constantly. There is so much that we need to know. So when we're looking at this, we need to understand it is important for us to look at all these things because this is what Jesus said. I have said these things to you in what? Figures of speech. Jesus even tells his disciples, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So previously, what was he speaking in? Figures of speech, he was speaking in parables, he was speaking in other kinds of languages that we need to understand. And it's important for us to understand so that we can understand uh, apocalyptic literature That's what we need to know and understand. We cannot think about it being always the same. So another thing is that the Old Testament apocalyptic language is poetic. It's stylized. It's formulaic. When speaking of judgment language, Jesus is going to use some of this judgment language coming up Pretty soon, as we're looking at 27 through the end of the chapter, we're going to see that he's using some of this kind of language that the that they they constantly use. That's one of the things we need to understand, some of the things that we need to know. Good. So, y'all have got it, right? So far, we good? We know these languages. Again, it says in 11.6, it tells us here some examples that are used in this apocalyptic language. Exodus eleven six says, there shall be a great cry through all the land of Egypt such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Look at that language. You, hear, you see that verse? Didn't Jesus just tell us there would be a great tribulation as the world has never seen and will never be again? He just did. But look in Exodus 11. Guess what it's saying? Same kind of thing, Right? Never be again. Then we get over here to Ezekiel. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I am against you and I will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations and because of all your abominations, I will do with you what I have never yet done and the like of which I will never do again. Same kind of thing, correct? So we're seeing that this kind of language is being used because we need to understand that Jesus said, "For then there will be great tribulation, such as never been from the beginning of the world, until now and never will be." Jesus is using the same kind of apocalyptic language that the prophets use. So we have to ask ourselves the question: Which is it? Was the great tribulation the worst judgment? Or was it the 10th plague that we read in Exodus chapter 11 in Egypt? Or was it the first destruction of the temple in 586, which we just read again in Ezekiel? So we need to understand the kind of language and note and understand the language used is dramatic, it's poetic, it's imagery. In each case, so when we do this, and we ask this about this chapter, we have to say, to whom was Jesus speaking? He was speaking to jewish disciples that 's what he was speaking, and since the Jews knew their Old Testament from the teachings of childhood, remember, they grew up at the knee of their Father as He was teaching them the law and the prophets. They knew it, they understood it you have to ask the question, would they understand the use of that kind of language that Jesus was speaking? Yes, they would. Whenever he had spoke and used the scripture, they knew it was coming from the Old Testament. One of the things that we have to understand, dear folks, is that we're trying to understand prophecy. We need to read it in the ways that they hear it and use it in that time. Not project it out 2,000 years From this time. But how is it used in this time? So we need to look at now the exposition of verse 27. If you go to it, you're going to look at its apocalyptic language. Let's read it again. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's where we want to look at right now. And one of the things he uses, first of all, is for as lightning, as lightning. It's a simile. It's giving an explanation of what this means. It's basically also imagery to describe the power and swift destruction of Jerusalem under the judgment of God. We find that constantly in the scriptures. The prophet says, here's divine judgments in history, and they describe it as lightning coming. Let's give you some just... Examples, it says on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so all the people in the camp trembled. They trembled, notice what it says. Thunders and lightning and thick clouds. What that represented was that they did not see God but they saw all this going on and it gave a beautiful uh, representation of the presence of God. The Lord, that's one way that lightning was described in the Old Testament. We look again, it says in Ezekiel, for as the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. Notice what it says, like burning coals of fire. Were they really burning coals? No, they were like it, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among living creatures. And the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning letting them know that this is power that's coming and it's also a manifestation of god's power that's what those kind of things mean we need to understand these things it says the lord thundered from heaven now you hear thunder all the time when we have storms right is that god speaking are they using that as an image, as a metaphor, the Lord thundered and the Most High uttered his voice and he sent out his arrows. Does God have a bow and arrow? What kind is it? Is he a little Cupid running around shooting arrows at people? They're using it in figurative language, okay? He sent out his arrows, he scattered them, lightning, and he routed them. Then the channels of the seas were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare, If the foundations of the world were laid bare, would we have a world? No. You see, they're using different kinds of language to speak about the power and the manifestation of the Lord. Look at this one. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Jesus tells God's spirit. Does God have a nose? You see, we need to understand as we're reading what we're reading. So we understand that lightning represents and depicts judgment. We have another one. Son of man, prophesy, say, Thus saith the Lord, a sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Imagery, constantly giving us imagery. And what lightning depicts basically is a sword that brings judgment. Just one more little example right here. It says, At their gates I have given the glittering sword. Ah, it is made what? Like lightning. It is taken up for a slaughter. Was it actual lightning that people grabbed and made a sword out of? No, it's an image. It depicts a sword moving swiftly without warning, and its devastation is traumatic. So Jesus, in verse 27, gives a very appropriate image of the destruction coming to jerusalem it is going to be on a basically coming on a cloud and it's going to be bad it's going to be powerful that is what jesus is actually describing at this time so when we're looking at the scriptures and going back you notice that it says that he was riding on a cloud you remember those scriptures we just said so we ask the question it says, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The word coming basically is translated arrival or a presence. It basically involves an event that is going to happen. Remember, it is a that is language basically that talks about if Jesus' presence was really coming. So let's look at this just real quickly. Here it is. Jesus says, as lightning is coming from the east and the west and shines in the west, comes from the east, shines in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So here's what's going to happen. Jesus is coming. It's going to be a vent. It's going to be like lightning. It's going to go from the east to the west. In other words, it's going to be swift. Remember, Jesus was answering the questions From his disciples, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Jesus is still answering this question. He is basically saying, it's coming quick. It's going to happen. Now, I want you to look. Old Testament parallel, Isaiah 19. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a, what? Swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Notice all the imagery, notice all the figures of speech that are there. Listen to what it says. We have to ask some questions. Did the Egyptians actually see God riding on a cloud? The Bible says that no man has seen God and lived. This is language that is being used to describe a coming, something that is about to happen. Did the heart of the Egyptians actually melt? They would all die, right, on the spot? If it did. This is figurative language. Could idols made of gold, silver, brass, or wood actually shake with fear? No, he's using a different kind of language. He's describing it as if it be something that they would do, but it's not actually, literally, you would see these idols shake. These intangible objects shake. It's metaphorical, apocalyptic language. That's what we have to understand. So, when did Jesus say on these things that he is going to come? We need to understand this coming. So... Understand this, the Old Testament is full of statements depicting God as coming, but he's using a person or people as instruments of judgment. In other words, when he says he's going to come, most of the time he's saying I'm coming and it's going to be in judgment and that judgment that I'm using is going to be other people or armies or other countries to bring about the judgment that is going to happen so we go back to verse 27 again and what does he say as the lightning basically goes from the east and from the, to the west so will the coming of the son of man be in other words it's going to be swift it's going to be powerful and I am using people to enact my judgment upon the covenant of breaking Israelite Jews that are depending on the temple and have broken covenant with God. We need to understand this. Ezekiel, again, here's another example. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey and you know those things. But notice what the words he says. I have come down. Who did he use? He used Moses to come and draw them out from Egypt. And it says, I've come down. What did he do? Did he literally come down and smash them or did he send plagues? He sent plagues as judgments for them. So when we look at the words coming, we need to understand this as what Jesus would be able, uh, the, the Jews would be able to understand that he was talking to his Jewish disciples. Now, The question needs to ask this, did Jesus have to be seen in order to appear? Not necessarily. In the scriptures we see it in different ways. For example, Paul in chapter chapter 9 of Acts, it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice what Paul says. Who are you? He hears a voice. That's all it says. He hears a voice. And it says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but what? Seeing no one so Jesus doesn't necessarily have to be seen visibly in order to appear that's what I'm wanting to understand because this is what he's saying in these verses he is saying I am coming this is going to be the coming of the son of man I am going to appear in power and in destruction and judgment so when did he say it's going to be? Matthew 16, 27 through 28. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. When is His coming going to be? We have it to a lot of folks that will tell us that his coming was 2,000 years from the time he spoke this. But notice what he says. There will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus is talking to a group of people who said, some of you are still going to be alive when this destruction comes. It's not something bumped 2,000 years into the future. It's not. Because he says this is when it's going to come. Nobody is hitting everybody around him in the crowd listening to Jesus and going, Oh, you know what? He really means 2,000 years from now. He doesn't mean that at all. He said some of you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So we need to understand this language that is being used. Now, some of the disciples would be dead by the time the judgment came. Some were not dead, and they did escape from Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about it last week when Cestius Gallus gathered around Jerusalem with his armies and all of a sudden pulled back after five days, allowing the early Christians to get out where they fled to the town of Pella. And so we know that some did escape. And yet Jesus tells the high priest also in Matthew 26... Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus, again, is using that kind of language that says, you're going to see me glorified and the way that you're going to see me glorified is I'm going to come in judgment and guess what? You're going to get to see that. And he began to manifest himself in interesting ways. How did they see it beginning with his death? There were earthquakes. There was the splitting of the veil. There was darkness. There was resurrection of bodies from cemeteries. Now, wouldn't that not freak you out? If we woke up one Sunday morning and all of a sudden, all the folks that are out in that cemetery just got up and started walking around. That'd kind of freak you out, wouldn't it? That's what happened happened at the death of Jesus Christ. It tells us in the Scriptures that they got up out of the graves and they were walking around. And then they saw it at the day of Pentecost when people became filled with the Holy Spirit and many, 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 many people were saved. And so they began to see the manifestation of power. They began to see this thing, God coming, or Jesus coming. And then they saw His real coming in the judgment of Jerusalem where over one million Jews were killed and many more taken captive. As we move to verse 28, what in the world does this mean? Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now because they are Jewish and they know their Old Testament scriptures, they knew he was quoting and talking about Jeremiah the prophet. 733 says this, And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beast of the earth and none will frighten them away. This is what happened. It happened in 586. It's happening again in AD 70. This is what's happening now. This is what Jesus is saying and this is what he was referring to. That they're going to have uh, be a corpse basically. Let me go back just real quick. Notice what it says in Jeremiah 19:7. It says, And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies. And by the hand of those who seek their life, I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. So who are the corpses? Israel is the corpse because she is judiciously dead. dead. She has broken the covenant. In Deuteronomy, it says, guess what's going to happen to you if you break this covenant? In chapter 28, it talks about birds feeding on carcasses. It says the same kind of things. What did Jesus use to show this power and destruction? The Roman armies swoop down like an eagle to devour, and Jesus selects a term for a bird of prey that reminds us of a symbol on the banners of the Roman army, the eagle. In Matthew, in the Greek, The ESV that I read from uses the term vultures, but it's actually in the Greek a word that is translated eagles. The eagles will gather. They will gather. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 says this, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. This is if you break my covenant, is what God is telling them. From the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. A nation whose language you do not understand. So what is happening with all this? Why are we looking at all this and need to understand this? Because if we don't look at the language and how Jesus used it. And how the New Testament writers and how the Old Testament writers use this kind of language. If we don't look at that, we will manufacture things... To make it say something, it does not say. It just doesn't say it. In other words, when we go back and we're going to look at some things in the next couple of weeks where we're talking about stars falling from heaven, what does all this mean? What does this have to do with anything? This is what's going to happen before, after the rapture, all this stuff is going to happen. This This is going to happen. But if we understand it in terms of language, we see it's highly symbolic It has a lot of imagery. It has all kinds of things to it that may make it say something other than what we have been taught. What we need to look at, folks, is look at the language. And that's one of the reasons I want to emphasize to you. What is your takeaway this morning from this? When Jesus says that he's coming, that basically means to them at this time... He came in power and judgment. Is He going to come again at a later time? Yes, He is going to come again, and we are going to talk about it. But is it going to be in the way that we put out, for example, when we read something like the Left Behind series? I don't believe so. I believe that they've manufactured something that the text does not say. So therefore, one of, again, one of the takeaways of this for you is when you're reading the scripture, it's of utmost importance to look at the language. What are they saying? What does it say? Is this symbolic? Is this metaphorical? Is this apocalyptic language? What, it, what is it? You need to look at it and you need to study because one of my jobs, as your pastor, believe it or not, as your shepherding elder, To give to you is ways to which you can read this Bible so that you can be a student of the Word of God. What does Paul tell us to be? He tells us to study, to show ourselves approved. And so therefore, it's not just, folks, when you come in the morning or any other time and you open your Bible and say, I want to see what the Bible has to say to me. You know, and what it says here and what it says there, and for you to interpret in a way that absolutely just totally skews the scripture in a way for I meant for it to say. For example, and I think I've told you this before, I was visiting a a lady in a hospital who was very sick, her granddaughter was there, and uh, we didn't know if she was going to pass or not. And so uh, I went out in the hall, and the granddaughter came out, and she was, she was all excited and whatever. She goes, Pastor, i got to tell you some things. I've got to tell you some things. I just went down to the chapel, and I, I, was, I was reading. In, I just picked up the Scripture. I hadn't read the Bible in a long time, and a fly landed on the thing. And I looked, and I read the Scripture passage, and I don't know what it means, but I'm pretty certain that God was speaking to me through this fly about that scripture passage and this is what I'm claiming over my grandmother and when I read it I looked at her and I said darling I I, want to be sensitive but that ain't what the meaning is I said in those words that ain't the meaning and she just looked at me and said what? I said that's really not the meaning of what you just read to me It, it really can't be Quote unquote," claim for your grandmother let me show you some other scriptures that we can pray about for your grandmother and pray over and look as a promise from God you see you think that's kind of crazy but people do that all the time when they open up the scriptures and they say okay this, here it is here's this scripture and I'm looking at it and say oh it means this and they walk off and they're claiming something that just that's not what it says because they fail to look at what the language is, what the context is, what the historical context is. And you're saying, Pastor, do we have to read the Bible always looking like stuff like that? No, I don't want you to be aware of it though. If you're studying it, yes. If you're reading it for devotional thought, just be aware. Be aware before you jump off and claim something. And I've told you before, I don't know how many people have them on. You. You've probably got one there. I think we had one. I'm not sure. But we had a little magnet on our refrigerator. that you know, says, I know the plans I have for you, says so the Lord. It's Jeremiah, right? You know, plans to prosper you and whatever. And everybody says, I'm claiming this verse. And yet, if you keep it in your context and you keep it in that kind of thing, you think, guys, I understand this. Jeremiah was in a fit of depression. He was crying and whining and moaning. And he was saying he was going to be killed. And God came to him and said, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> and he tells him what he's going, about to go do if you read down and find out the plans that God has for him. And yet we jump into something like that and we go, oh, oh, this is, this is a promise just for me. And I can do this, and yet we don't consider the context. Because, folks, if we really want to get that way, then why doesn't anybody use Hebrews chapter 11? May I share that with you just real quick? Why doesn't anybody have Hebrews 11 on their refrigerator? I have never seen one yet, okay? And here's, here's what I mean. I have never seen anyone... Say this, that it has in Hebrews chapter 11. Never had it. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You know the plans the Lord has for you, but what about those guys that the Hebrew writer just said? They got tortured, they got put in prison, they were sawn in two. They wandered about and were in caves and deserts. Why isn't that plaque on your refrigerator? Here's a point I'm trying to get to you to understand. When we're coming to this kind of language, when we come into to this kind of context, in the historical context, when you're reading the scripture, read it with those things in mind. Before we start putting things on our refrigerator that may not mean what they really mean, study the word in other words, come to it and see And look at it and understand that these things are maybe a little bit different than what we really thought before. Because when we're dealing with this kind of literature, this kind of thing, we need to understand just like Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, doesn't mean it's 2,000 years from now. He was talking to those people, He said, It's going to be like lightning, it's going to be swift, it's going to be powerful. And guess what? Where the corpses are, where all those folks who are killed by the Romans that I'm going to use to bring destruction on the covenant-breaking people that I've given chance after chance after chance after chance, it's going to be bad. And their banners are going to fly over this place in which the official banner of the Roman soldiers, the Roman army, was the eagle. And they did. And it happened. So folks... Instead of looking for lightning flashes, looking for things in the sky, looking for signs on the TV and looking for the news and all this other kind of things, that this certainly means this and this certainly means that and that means that, read it within its context and understand it in a way that you may not have understood it. And understand this, is Jesus coming again? Yes. But did he come then? Yes, he did. In judgment. That's what we don't want to happen to anyone. That when you pass from this earth, that you enter into a judgment because you never trusted Christ as your Savior. So I pray that if you are here and you do not know Christ, please come talk with me. Because if you don't, if you leave this place and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're still under the wrath of God. And you will receive the judgment when you pass from this life. We don't want that to happen. We pray that you would trust Christ. So come and talk with me and Brother Philip or Brother Danny, Brother Seth, uh, any of these guys that are that uh, we've nominated for deacons. They're They're well-trained in the gospel. They know it. Just pray that you would come speak with them or anyone that you can pull aside to say, help me know and understand about Jesus and how I can make Him my Savior. That's what you need to do. I pray that you would do that today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word that you've given to us. Thank you that we have the opportunity to look into your word, to see the meaning. And Father, that you have shown us, you have shown us what happens when we reject Jesus Christ. So I pray for that one soul that may be here that needs Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they've never trusted in Christ. I pray, oh Lord God, that you would open their hearts so they may believe. And Father, grant them repentance so that they would come to you seeing who they are as opposed to your righteousness and holiness. And Father, let them cast themselves at your feet praying for mercy, praying for forgiveness. And Lord, grant them your wonderful mercy, your wonderful grace. And Lord, save them from the judgment. And I ask it in Jesus' name.